Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter number 2. Luke chapter number 2. Pretty much this time of the year you know we're either going to Isaiah, Luke, or Matthew. And so uh, most of the time. <clears throat> Luke chapter 2. We're going to begin here in verse number 1. And just reflect a little bit this morning about, uh, about what God has given us with the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ and salvation. And it's just the beginning of the price that was paid to redeem man from our sin. And so what a wonderful and glorious time it is. Luke chapter 2, beginning there in verse number 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary his espoused wife, bring great with child. <clears throat> and so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in their field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a light, was, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God. And the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. I want to speak to you this morning on this thought, the day that hope was born. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you this morning, we just again ask that you would meet with us. We, we know that you've promised that when we come together in the name of our Savior, Lord Jesus, that you meet with us. And Lord, as we focus this morning on your coming to this earth, Lord, may you help us to reflect and all that it could mean in our lives. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be a people that are hungry, that are thirsty for righteousness, for truth, for godliness, to experience you, Lord, not casually, but fully. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to, again, open our hearts and turn our attention to your word. Holy Spirit, may you speak to us and may you shape us into the person, the people that you've created us to be. In Jesus' name and amen. You know, when you look at, at this story, and we do, we, we talk about hope. It's always a good thing to have hope, right? We always are talking about in different circumstances, it's, it's you know, if someone has hope. When you lose hope, you really, you, it's all over. And so as long as there's just some hope, then people can hang on, people can uh, stick with the plan, people can keep going. Uh, and we kind of live in a time where hope is diminished in its value a little bit. By, by that I mean we live in a nation that's very prosperous. Most of us, even if we're going through a tough time, uh, few of us are going through a tough time like people in many countries around the world are going through. And so it's really on, on many levels hard for most people that live in the United States to really understand 
what it is to be completely and utterly destitute and without hope. I realize there are exceptions. I realize as you travel around and you see that there are people out there that would understand this far better than most of us in this room this morning. But as a general rule, we live in a place where we have great liberty. We, have, we live in a land where we, we can uh, enjoy doing the things that we want to do. We don't have to get permission. Uh, we just, we just, we don't have to, uh, you know, run it by the government before we do something. We can, we can go out and act and live uh, freely, at least for the time being. Uh, and so those are our conditions. We, we live in a free land. We live in a place and a time where we enjoy great freedoms and great liberty. And so when we look at the situation and say, do I have hope? The answer for most of us is, yeah, we have a lot of hope. And even if we're having a tough time, we are hopeful, and rightfully so, that that tough time isn't going to last forever. But I want you to consider this morning when Jesus came, the conditions that existed when he came. Because a lot of times our interpretation and our value of the scripture is limited to our experience in life. And we have to really kind of look back and look at what were conditions on the ground or what was life like at this time. We don't live, we, we do live in a time today of diminished light. Uh, you know, the, the light of the gospel does not shine as brightly in our country as it did 30 years ago. Amen. It certainly doesn't shine as brightly as it did 50 or 60, 100 years ago. It, is, it has been... It has been dimmed, but it still shines. You can still make your way around. You, you can still see God at work. But when Israel was in this particular state, and when Jesus came and put on human flesh, they were going through a period of tremendous darkness. For example, uh, Israel went through a time of great darkness in the book of Exodus. You see them... Uh, when Exodus begins, they have been enslaved in Egypt and, and suffering for 430 years. They served as slaves to Egypt and they were treated harshly. During that time, no one knew God. They didn't have a written Bible. They didn't have any of it yet. They only knew of God what was passed down from generation to generation. Uh, they 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 were diminished and they were isolated and they were cut off from truth and right and righteousness. And so that's all they knew. God was silent in those years. There was no, uh, there were no prophets. There was no promise. There was no hope other than the promise and the hope that he gave to Abraham many years before. And so that's all they had. When you look at the period of the judges after they've conquered the promised land, that's again a period where their ups and downs are tremendous of around 400 years. But yet, during those times, God did come and speak and intervene. Whenever you get into the period in the age of the kings of Israel, and Judah again 
It's another block of time that lasted approximately 400 years, uh, but you had diminished light, but you had some light interjected into the situation. Judah at least had a few good kings that brought revival along the way, and there was a revival response from some of the prophets. The prophets during that time were very active, and God's word was proclaimed, and they did at least have uh, the books of the law or the Torah, the, the, the books of Moses, the five, first five books of the Old Testament. And so they had varying degrees with them. But then when you come into the Babylonian captivity and Israel is scattered across uh, the, the area and that, you, that leads into again a period of great darkness, a period of uh, roughly 400 years where there is no active prophet, that God is silent. And when Jesus comes on the scene, when the New Testament begins in Matthew chapter 1 and the other Gospels, God has not been heard from in over 400 years. All they have is what Old Testament books that are written and what they've developed as a spoken law that had become just as prominent and, and attained the same legal authority as the written law. And so you've got this culture in Israel in which they have not heard actively from God in 400 years. And so they've got, again, what they know and what they believed as it has been passed down from generation to generation strictly with, as tradition. This is tradition. This is what we do. This is how we live. This is our culture. But no God. They have a God of their culture, but they have no personal relationship or interaction with the God of heaven. On top of that, they are not a free nation. They, like most of the rest of the known world, are under an authoritative Roman government system. They are under heavy Roman rule. They are not enslaved to the degree that they were enslaved whenever they were in Egypt during the days of Moses. But they are indeed enslaved by the Roman Empire. They are granted some liberties dependent upon the whims of the proconsul and the Roman representatives in their district. But they were not free as a nation to govern themselves. Not only that, they were a defeated people. They were not under Roman rule because they wanted to be. They were under Roman rule because Rome was more powerful than they and because they were oppressed. Now I want you to understand when, when Jesus came, when he was born in that manger, that the time of history was a dark time. It was a time in which many people had no hope. It was a time when people felt oppressed. It was a time when people were angry and bitter at the uh, governmental system that was over them. And so the conditions of life that they held up under, under the, at the time of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ was as an occupied country, as a defeated people, and as a nation in bondage. Now I want you to understand this morning that that gives great parallel to us in our lives today. Not as a nation, but as individuals. When we look at things, hope is only valuable to the degree that I need what hope provides. And so when I look and I understand 
that my heart without Christ is an occupied country. And that even as a Christian, I concede and give Satan authority in my life to where he occupies it and where he torments me and where he takes control and where he exercises uh, governmental control, if you will. We are, without Christ, an occupied people. We are occupied by sin and its power. We are under the weight and the burden and the oppression of the sin as a lost person that doesn't know Jesus as my Savior, I am under the full burden and weight of my sin. As a saved person who gives in to sin and allows it to have rule and authority in my life, I am a person who lives under the oppressive nature of that sin and again come under its control by choice. To give you an example, if you look back at history <coughs> in World War II, when World War II began in 1939, Whenever Hitler unleashed his army on, on uh, uh, the countries surrounding Germany uh, with great speed and fury, those nations were invaded by a powerful, a much more powerful military than what they had. They were, they were able to offer only token resistance and they were almost immediately, in a very short period of time, completely conquered. There were other nations like Austria in particular that Hitler had just as much control and authority over, but never fired a shot. In other words, there were some nations that were defeated in armed conflict. There were other nations that looked at Hitler and his might and said, I'm not willing to fight you. I surrender. You can have everything we are. That's what happened in Austria. The German army moved in. Uh, they took possession of everything as if they had invaded. Their buildings were saved. Everything looked beautiful. Nothing was destroyed on the outside, but their entire civilization was destroyed as they knew it. That's the way sin can operate. We can either resist without Christ and be ravaged by sin, or as a Christian, we can say, I'm tired of fighting with my flesh, with my desires, with my sin, with the world, with uh, with others, everything else in my life that's going on and the effects that it has, and we just capitulate. We just give in and we let it take control. In either case, we are under the control and the authority of sin. And what happens is when we're occupied, Satan occupies the heart. And that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to work his way into the heart of man so that we choose his devices over God's. Then we see that Satan captivates the mind. And when we do that, when we allow him to do that, we become a defeated people. You see that outlined in Romans chapter 1, where the Bible states that, that they're given over the culture, the society as a whole, is given over to a reprobate mind. And uh, when you see that, sin rules supreme in the culture. I think that you could make a strong argument that in our current culture in the United States that our culture has been given over to a reprobate mind. We are more and more becoming a pagan society. If you look at it and evaluate it honestly, there's really not any denying any reasonable person uh, that has any understanding of biblical principle and truth and history would have to look and understand that we are gradually, though 
less gradually as time moves forward, becoming more and more paganistic in our beliefs and in our culture and in our governmental thinking. In a personal level, Satan occupies the heart, then he captivates the mind and changes the way that we think and the way that we view and the way that we see things. And now, uh, for example, when I was a young man, uh, we, people would go out and do what they wanted to do, and at least we had the ability to look and say, I may be rebellious and I may be choosing what's wrong, but at least I'm aware that what I'm doing is wrong. In the, land that, in the world that we live in today, people don't even understand that what they're doing is wrong. They have no moral values. They have no biblical, ethical value. That's not been disseminated. It's not been taught. It's not been lived for generations. Uh, they've not witnessed it lived in the previous generation, and they've not had it taught to them in church or school or by the government uh, in many, many decades. And so what that's resulted in is a people that have a mind that's captivated by oppressive satanic thinking. People have accepted evil as good and have begun to view good as evil. Many things that are preached from pulpits that come straight from the Bible are deemed and criticized by the culture at large as being all kinds of phobias when it's just really the truth of God's word. You're evil because you preached against this sin or that sin or because you take a stand against this line of thinking. That makes you evil. That's calling that which is good, righteous, holy, the character and the essence of God evil. That's what they do. And then we begin to see that which is evil as good. We have to in order to justify our lifestyles of sin. That's just a reality. A nation then that comes under a bondage is like an individual that then is enslaved in his body. So he invades the heart, steals our heart from God, captivates the mind and changes the way that we begin to think and value and process information and, and things that go on in our lives. And then ultimately the result of that is that we become an enslaved people. We are in that state a people in need of great hope. Hope that our thinking can be fixed. Hope that our, our chains and our shackles can be cut free. Hope that the light will return and restore. That is the, 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 the literal mindset and existence that Jesus came to. He did not come to a prosperous Israel. He did not come to a people who had no need of a savior. He did not come to a people that had hope that the Romans were just going to pack up and go away and set them at liberty. There was no end in sight. He came at a time when you could say was Israel's darkest hour. He came at a time when there was no hope. And Jesus was born into a world that was spiritually dark as God had been silent for 400 years and he was born into a world that was politically dark as Rome ruled the world as a superpower and as the Greek and Roman culture and thinking was elevated and rising in power and accepted as enlightened and progress and all of those types of things when really it was just clouding God and suppressing true light. Jesus was born into a world that was socially dark. The culture was giving way to a Roman way of life. Not a Christian way of life. So what is hope? Hope is not 
rubbing a bottle and watching a big blue genie pop out and granting, getting wishes granted. Hope is not looking longingly for something and hoping and, and thinking that somehow magically it just might happen. Hope, biblically, is to desire a good or a better thing with a substantive reason to believe that it will be obtained. Genuine hope has a reason to believe that what has been promised will happen. I'm just telling you this morning that we have a reason to believe that Jesus is who he says he is and will do what he said he will do. That he has paid the price of our sin, that he has walked upon this earth, that he has borne the weight of our sin, that he sacrificed himself on Calvary's cross, that he rose from the grave after three days, and that he sits at the right hand of God the Father, making preparation for us and interceding for us. That is the promise of heaven, and that is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Jesus' birth brought hope to mankind. Jesus' hope, birth uh, was the beginning of man's redemption, the beginning of restoration of light, the beginning of freedom from sin, the beginning uh, of taking off the sin that suppresses and breaks the heart and crushes the life and, uh, and buries the soul and condemns hearts to hell. Jesus' birth brought hope to mankind. And what we see uh, this morning is that it begins with the, with the fact that we have hope of a new life. If you're here this morning and you're, I had a young man uh, in my office just uh, on, on Friday who is completely crushed under the weight of sin. Completely broken. Couldn't speak. Hadn't showered in days. Lives under a bridge. Has lost a brother to overdose this year. Has lost an unborn child to the overdose of the mother that was carrying it when she overdosed. Has uh, lost home and job and uh, relationships with children that are living still. And is completely a wreck. But he found out this week that there's hope in Jesus. Amen. Now I can't say this morning that I know his state. I know that he's made a profession. I can't tell you this morning whether it's real or genuine. The Bible says that wisdom is justified of her children. In other words, time will tell. Time will reveal. It's not for me to judge. He and God know. But we'll know as we know each other by our fruits. The Bible says that we're known by our fruits. What we do, how we behave, how we act, how we think, where we go. Uh, who we associate with, reveal the truth of who and what we are. I'm saying this morning that this morning we have, because of the birth of Christ, hope of new life. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 17, and we all know the verse. If you've been in church any time at all, you know and you love this verse. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. There is the promise to say, Pastor, I know a lot of people that have trusted Christ that never became that new creature. It's not because he didn't empower them to. For some inexplicable reason, sometimes people are set free from the slavery of their sin and they choose to go back and put the shackles on. For some inexplicable reason, whenever you follow Israel out of Egypt... Every time they have a problem, every time they have a hiccup, every time they get thirsty, every time they get hungry, they just want to forget it and give up and go back. Listen, life is hard. 
Do you really think that Israel's life in slavery where they were beaten and building pyramids and sphinxes and treasure cities and all the things, that the great wonders of Egypt, they weren't built by the Egyptians. They were built by the Israelites. And the Bible tells us plainly that they built the treasure cities, Ramses. And what we look at is that they really got to the point where, hey, life was hard. Guess what? Life's hard no matter where you go. Life's hard no matter what side of the coin you're on. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, life is hard. And if you're here this morning and you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, even if He has blessed you abundantly, life is still hard. Why? Because we live on a sin-cursed earth. And no matter where you go and no matter what you do, you all, we all face the same sin-cursed earth. We all face the same threat of disease. We all face the same... Uh, 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 trouble from sin, whether it's our own sin or the sins of others around us, we all have to navigate this earth and this world and we can either do so with hope or without it. And in Christ we have hope. In Christ we have hope uh, of a new life. We have hope of becoming a new creature. Hey, if you don't like the person that you are, put your faith and trust in Jesus and he'll change you into someone new. If you're a Christian that's overwhelmed and overburdened by the power of sin and that has backslidden against God and is strayed far from Him and you can find no way back, may I say to you, if you would just come to the manger that's, that's leading to the cross, that He will again change you and create you into a new creature, the creature that He designed you to be. And what we see when Jesus brought, when he came to this earth is that he brought hope to mankind and he makes us a new creature. He did not, he makes us instantaneously a new creature when we're saved in the sense that we become positionally a child of God. But the process is lifelong. Transformation is until we get to heaven. I'm so glad uh, that that eight pound, four ounce baby boy that we brought home on June 29th, 1992 uh, is not still that small 28 years later. Uh, now it's six foot five and weighs too much. <laughs> Just like his dad. It's changed and it's changing and he'll continue to change. One of these days he's liable to have his dad's hairstyle. Won't that be a blessing? One of these days he might have more of his dad's attitude than he already does. What a curse. Uh, whenever you go through life and you examine these things, listen, what I'm saying is life is a changing process. We should always be growing in the grace of God. We should not stay where we were. And I'm grateful that when Jesus came and when I gave my heart to him and he forgave my sin, that he changed who I was immediately. I was no longer on the outside looking in. I was born into the family of God. I was no longer just merely his creation. But at that moment, I became his son and praise be to God for it. Yes. But not only that, whenever he began Began that process of change, he began to invest and he began to develop and he began to grow and he began to rebuke and he began to spank and he began to encourage and he began to lift up and he began to provide and to change us through the process of life. Listen, the growth of God, of a Christian in the grace of God is not going to end until we walk into the presence of our Savior. And God help you if you're a Christian that's turned away from him or that stopped growing or that feels as if you've got nothing left to learn. Oh, pastor, no one would ever say that. You might not ever say it, but some of you live like it. 
What I'm saying this morning is that the grace of God is an amazing and wonderful thing that brings hope. And he gave us that hope when he made us and began to make us and continues to make us a new creature. Not only did he make us a new creature, but he gave us a new name. I'm so glad that my name is not what it was. I'm so glad that he changed not just what I was, but the identity of who I am. In Revelation chapter number 3 and verse number 12. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar of the temple of my God. And he shall no more go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God. And the name of the city of my God which is New Jerusalem. Which cometh down out of heaven for my God. And I will write upon him my new name. May I say to you this morning that whenever you were born into the family of God. That you received the name Christian. And that ought to identify exactly who we are. I love the old, uh, the old song that was sung in the Youth for Christ meetings of the 1950s in the uh, giant stadiums around the country uh, about having a new life in Christ. It says, new life in Christ, abundant and free. What glory shine, what joys are mine, what wondrous blessings I see. My past with its sin, the searching and strife, Forever gone, there's a bright new dawn, for in Christ I have found new life. Amen. Have you found that new life this morning? Do you know that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Do you feel the weight of your sin? May I say to you, if you feel the weight of your sin this morning, whether you've never trusted him or whether you've strayed from him, that he wants to lift the burden of that sin and set you back at liberty. We see this morning that he gave us the hope of a new life. But not only that, he gives us hope of a new land. Now, I love this land. I, 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 you know, I mean, I drive around the plain states and the plain states are just kind of plain. And that, you know, that just, uh, it, it's not as exciting as getting out to the coast or getting up in the mountains and seeing things like that. But, you know, like at Thanksgiving time, I drove to Arizona and back and my wife flew out there, but she rode back with me and, uh, and she's just reading and studying, getting ready for Sunday school. And I'm off out the window and half the time she tries to talk, my mind's gone somewhere else and, uh, and just looking and she's just like, what in the world are you looking at? It's just the same. You know, it's 530 miles, I think, from El Paso to, Amar or to San Antonio. Uh, and in her mind, it's all exactly the same. It's just one cacti after another. And she missed the deer and the pigs and the coyotes and all the other things. And, uh, and she missed the, the mountains and the hills and uh, the different types of cacti and the different types of Joshua trees and uh, all of those kind of things. And, uh, and she's looking at it and it's just plain and it's dry and it's arid and it's ugly and it's just bleh. That's the way I feel about the plains. I, I kind of like looking out there and seeing a little bump in the skyline. I kind of look out there. If it's going to be all flat, I like seeing it blue and pretty. I drove uh, down 146 the other day and I went over the bridge at Kima and looked out over Galveston Bay and the water was actually pretty. It doesn't happen very often, so you got to enjoy it when it does, right? <laughs> and you go to other places and it's just bright and blue and it's beautiful. What I'm saying is, is that God's given us a beautiful creation. Amen. And God's given us a great country to live in. But the reality is, is that there's a better place. Amen. That this place is not perfect. That there's a lot to enjoy, but there's a lot to be desired. And God has given us the hope this morning of a new land. I, you know, I really don't like it here in August and September. <clears throat> I know most of you don't like it in January, December and January, but I, I, I kind of like this weather. 
I, you know, I'm, I'm glad I don't have to stand out in the rain, but, uh, but the cool temperatures and the weather tomorrow is, is like, I could live in that weather all year long and it would be wonderful. And so I kind of miss the snow every once in a while. I wouldn't want to live in it and have to deal with it all winter, but to have it once in a while would be all right. And so, uh, you know, those are some of the things that I just kind of look at. You know, when it gets, to, I don't like heat. No, no, and I just, I just never have enjoyed the heat and the humidity. Uh, and so my wife grew up in it in, in, in Puerto Rico and she, she really hates humidity uh, and the things that it does to her hair. Uh, and so, I mean, I really sympathize a lot with her, with her struggle. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, it just, she really can tell what's going on outside temperature wise by what her hair's doing as far as humidity levels go. Uh, and so, you know, I just, I'm just telling you that there is, there's coming a day whenever whatever your preferred temperature is, is the temperature that it's going to always be. God's preparing a place for you. Now, I realize this morning that, you know, I, I don't know for I don't know exactly what heaven's going to be like in that regard. I just know this. It's a place that's a prepared city. That I'm glad and grateful that I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm glad and grateful that I'm a natural born citizen of Texas. But I'm also glad that this world is not my home. I'm glad that my trip across this life is a temporary one. I'm glad that as my body gets older and stiffer and sore and more diminished, that one day it'll be restored and will be more pristine than it ever was. We have hope of a new land. The Bible speaks of that in Hebrews chapter 11 and verses 13 through 16 when he says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country and truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country that is in heavenly, whereof God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared them a city. May I say this morning that, that we have a prepared home in heaven, a prepared city. God didn't just say, you know, one of these days you're going to leave this life. He said, I'm going and I'm preparing a place for you. Uh, there's, there, you're not a citizen of here forever, but you are a citizen of heaven if you've trusted Christ as your Savior for eternity. And what a blessing to know that there is a prepared place that has no tears, that has no heartache, that has no, uh, no, no infirmities, that there's no illness, there's no COVID-19, there's no, there's no anything uh, to worry about, only to enjoy a prepared city. I would say also that not only is that a city that's prepared, but it's a it's a city that's personal. John chapter number 14 and verses 1 through 3. And again, most of us are well aware, well familiar with this passage. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, Jesus said. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And what I'd say this morning is that just as salvation is personal, the preparation of the place that we have in heaven is personal. 
God wants to interact. Jesus wants to interact on, with every one of us on a personal level. Does he interact with us as his bride, as the church? Of course he does. But it's not limited to that. He wants a personal interaction with his children. He wants personal interaction with every child of God. And I'm saying this morning that what we have hope of is a new life, but also a new land in heaven in the presence of God for all eternity that is prepared and that is personal. Imagine sitting down at your dining room table and Jesus walking down and sitting and, and, and having dinner with you tonight. Sitting in the living room and propping your feet up and having Jesus walk in and share the evening with you. Personal. He cares about you. And by the way, he can be just as personal to you now as he will be then. He wants to be. He longs to be. But he can't coexist if we're resistant and rebellious in our spirit and our heart to him. We have to come to a place where we understand that we have hope of a new land, a place that's prepared, a place that's personal, and a place that's perfect, that's without blemish. There's not anything wrong with it. Hey, listen, two years ago when my wife and I went to her hometown in Puerto Rico on our 30th anniversary, uh, we drove through the streets and after uh, two years, or you know, two years at that point after Maria, there were still traffic lights that didn't work. When we went down to the tourist area by the old Spanish fort in old San Juan that was began built in the early 1500s, there were complete sections of the wall along the sidewalks by the big wall of the city that kept people from kind of falling off in the ocean. They just had plastic barricades there. There were still, uh, there were still potholes in the roads and there were still guardrails along, the, along the, the road along the coast that were twisted and mangled that hadn't yet been fixed. It was a beautiful place, but there was still a lot wrong with it. There are any place that you go, you can find a lot of beauty, but you can also find a lot of things that need to be repaired. There won't be any potholes in the streets of golden heaven. There won't be any leaky roofs. There won't be any problems. There won't be any burdens to bear. It is a perfect city. Revelation chapter 21 and verse numbers, verses 1 through 5 says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. And God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Right, for these words are true and faithful. That writer, that speaker, that wiper away of your tears is that babe that laid in the manger. It's Jesus. Hope of a new land, a prepared city, a personal city, a perfect city. Thirdly and lastly this morning, we have hope of new liberty. Hope of a new liberty. We come back from heaven to earth now. This new liberty that he's promised is, doesn't have to be temporary. It doesn't have to be fleeting. It doesn't have to be always for all of life a great struggle. God has promised us freedom from the power of sin. Amen. In Romans chapter number 6 and verse number 18, 
The Bible says, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. In verse number 22, he says, but now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. And what I'm saying this morning is that if you live a life and it's a struggle from day to day, from get to the morning until the evening without falling into sinful ways in your life and devices and drugs and alcohol or anger or worry or, uh, or a gossiping tongue or whatever your sin is, and we all have sin. By the way, God views it all the same way too. We like to kind of sugarcoat things and dress it up and, uh, and play up like, uh, you know, our dignified sin and our undignified sin uh, or our dignified sin and your undignified sin. But the reality is, is that sin is sin in the eyes of God and all of it separates us from him. But I'm saying this morning that when that baby came and when Jesus entered that manger, that he set us free from the power of that sin. If you live this morning under the yoke and the weight and the burden and the control and the misery of sin with a broken heart and a wounded heart and a ruined life, then you do so not because you have to, but because you choose to. Because he set you free. Free from the power of sin. Not only did he set us free from the power of sin, but he set us free from the law of sin. There was a law that was given as a schoolmaster that we might understand our great need, that we might understand the darkness of our heart and understanding, that we might understand that without Christ, we're lost and helpless and hopeless, that we might understand that the hope that was born in that manger was the hope that we needed. Romans chapter eight and verse number two, he says, for the law of the spirit is life in Christ Jesus, who hath made me free from the law of sin and death. He came, that child in a manger, to begin a course of action that would redeem mankind and that would set us free from the burden, the bondage, the weight of our sin. Not only did he set us free from the law of sin, but he set us free from the chains of death. May you understand this morning that if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that your physical body, unless Jesus comes back before will die, but your eternal spirit will live forever. Amen. The reality is, is that mankind will exist forever in his soul. But true and ultimate death is separation from God. And a soul that dies without Christ as their Savior will spend an eternity separated from God in the lake of fire. That's death. But for those that have understood their need of a Savior that have embraced him, that have bowed their knee to him, that have accepted him as their savior, repented of their sin, that have been born into the family of God, we come to a place where, the, where we have been set free from the chains of that death. Revelation chapter 20 and verse number six, the Bible tells us, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, on such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. What a wonderful truth that when a, a little innocent, seemingly powerless baby was born, wrapped in grave clothes, signifying that he would die for us, and laid in a manger, abandoned, 
unwanted by the world at large. Only a few understood the value of the promise that was delivered that day. But people for all of eternity will forever look back to a time that was dark, to a time that was empty, to a time that was oppressive, to a time that ground a man's hope and heart to ashes and look and see that on that day, hope was born. On that day, the beginnings of our freedom from sin and its weight and its bondage began. That on that day, the light was turned on and began to shine. And, be, and Jesus began to draw men to him. I'm saying this morning, Christian, he gave you a new name. He made you a new creature. He did so that you might be that light that shines. In our text this morning, we read how Jesus was born and laid in the manger. And then there was an angel that appeared to the shepherds and a bright star that shone. That star led them to Christ. That star lifted into the sky, shone in the darkness. Your life this morning is that star. Your life, your testimony, your walk with Christ. Do you shine brightly or dimly? Can you be seen? A few weeks ago, we were sitting in the backyard and it got cold enough that they thought it was cold enough for a fire pit. So my oldest daughter and her husband came over and we're in the backyard and my two granddaughters were there. And we look up in the sky and it was a fairly clear night. And they're looking, I wonder what that one is. I said, oh, that's Mars. Jaden, true to form, had to fact check me. He don't know what he's talking about. <clears throat> and so he's over there on his phone. We're sitting around the fire. The girls are roasting marshmallows. And he finds this app that identifies every item in the sky. And so he shines it up there. It uses the camera on your phone. It's really pretty cool. And he shines it up there and looks. And lo and behold, it's Mars. <laughs> the stupid old man knew what he was talking about after all. <laughs> then... He noticed as he kind of looked around, I don't see anything there, but it kept popping up all these other stars. The city lights drown them out. You really couldn't see what you could see out in a really dark night. As the night got darker, you could see a few more popping out, emerging. Some of them you could see really brightly and really clearly. We looked across the sky and there were two really bright, bright shining really bright. And I said, I bet you those are planets. Looked up there, sure enough, it was Jupiter and Saturn. And my point is this. There's a dark world out there. Are you a dim light or a bright light? When's the last time that your life, your conversation, your character, your compassion, your gentleness, your love for Christ caused someone to be curious enough to look up and wonder what you are. When's the last time someone looked at your life or mine and said that you're shining so brightly that I have to find out what you're shining on?
there was a star that shone over a manger that drew those shepherds to Jesus, that led them to him. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. How do I lift him up, pastor? Be that new creature. Live that new life. Let his light, his love, his freedom, his compassion, his truth and holiness and righteousness come alive in your life. Let him transform you into the creature that he wants you to be. And when you do, you lift him up and you shine brightly. And he uses that to draw all men unto himself. That's the ministry of every Christian. That's the name that we bear. He's the Savior that we sought. He's the hope that God gave. Will you embrace him this morning?